Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to uh, a morning in London. And today we're going to be talking about automated horizon scanning. Does this really reduce organizational risk? Over the years, we've heard about the vast power of machines to look ahead and tell us what's going to happen. Uh, does it work? And if it does work, does it really help us? Now, I have with me today Asad Ansari, who's the managing director and founder of Risk Intel. We'll be speaking first, uh, followed by uh, Vartan Sarkissian, who's the CEO and founder of Appomatics. Uh, interesting to have two uh, perhaps complementary approaches to, to this topic today. Now, you'll know me. I'm Michael Minelli. I'm one of the directors of Zien, and it really is my privilege to be able to introduce uh, a variety of, of these webinars. And I can only do so uh, thanks to the generosity and tolerance of our sponsors, um, whom you see here. Uh, they are very tolerant, and they let us wander widely and freely across technology, economics, and finance. And today, we're definitely going to be touching on all three areas, technology, finance, and then the economics of risk and how we manage it. I just thought, a, a small small advertisement here for UFS Club members, that you might be interested in uh, a reminder that we, too, provide you with free horizon scanning uh, software. If you go to the FS Club website, you can pick from among 500 uh, weekly bulletins. Uh, I've picked here on central banking, uh, and you can sign up for them, and they'll be emailed directly to you. So there are a lot of services out there that provide this, but we're going to look in detail today at Risk Intel and Appomatics, who provide a, a complementary service. Um, I will be getting out of your way as quickly as possible. Uh, we've got 10 minutes from Assad and then 10 minutes from Bartan. And I'm expecting a fairly lively question and answer session, knowing all of you folks here. Uh, so what I'm going to suggest, if I might, is that uh, I'll hand over uh, initially to Asad. And for the Q&A, please remember, please do remember that you should uh, use the question and answer facility in GoToWebinar. If you email me or text me or WhatsApp me or whatever mechanism you like, you'll find merely that I'm here with you online and I will only get those messages later. All of the uh, questions will be sent to Assad and Bartan. And if you want them to contact you directly, just simply uh, type that. I'll make sure that they get that. The, the website will contain, already contains, in fact, the presentation. And the recording will be up in approximately uh, approximately 48 hours. Uh, so with no more ado, if I might, uh, Assad, the floor is yours. Thank you, Michael. Um, and I'd especially like to thank the team at FS Club and ZN for putting this uh, webinar together uh, for myself and uh, Vartan. Um, hello, everyone. Um, nice to, I guess, e-meet you. I'll run through um, a bit about horizon scanning. Um, Risk Intel is uh, more of a consultancy firm that uh, I started. Um, could I go to the next slide, please, Michael? Oh, Morgan, thank you. Um, so just in a briefly, Risk Intel, we Help protect. Uh, we help um, our clients protect their brand and reputation by uh, monitoring and screening their third-party supply chain. Um, that could be vast across various industries globally. Um, so I'll, I'll get a bit more into horizon scanning now. Um, can we go to the next slide, please? So what we've seen over the years is various, um, not only clients but various uh, organisations within different industries. They tend to face similar sort of challenges when it comes to um, looking at supply chain, operational risk, financial risk, and so on. A lot of them, what they actually wanted to do is protect their reputation. 
Now, you know, as um, Warren Buffett once said, it, it takes uh, 20 years to build a reputation and five minutes uh, for it to be ruined. So ultimately, what many organizations and industries uh, need to um, sort of look at there is for these sort of um, pointers that are everywhere scattered in the web. And if they're working cross-border globally in different countries, it might be um, quite costly. And uh, in terms of resources, it, it can take a lot of burden on a firm um, in order to be able to um, watch that for themselves. There are many different approaches which are quite manual um, that they can do. But from what uh, we've seen over historically and uh, within our own teams is it takes a number of resources um, weeks to be able to uh, look at these problems uh, where firms can ultimately automate a lot of it. Um, can I get to the next slide, please? So um, just uh, as I mentioned in terms of the issues, we'll run a quick poll here and um, we, we'd love uh, for you to just give us some answers there. Great. So I've put the poll up, folks. Uh, does keeping ahead of reputation and operational risk add a cost burden to your organization? Yes, no, or don't know. As ever with our FS Club uh, group, Asad and Vartan, <laughs> uh, they're voting very rapidly. We're at the 50% mark already. Give me just a few more seconds, let it creep up, uh, up to about 80% there. Good. And I'll uh, now close the poll and I will show you the results. Just give me a second. Thank you, Michael. So, uh, yes, it uh, fairly strongly yes or don't know. So, yes, well, just under 50 percent. Um, that, that is something that I um, would have expected uh, from a lot of the attendees on here today. So it's interesting. We'll delve a bit more into this with um, what I'm doing. Uh, so ultimately, how could, can a firm protect their reputation, protect their brand and keep on top of these uh, risks that are out there? Now, there the two sort of areas where not just risk and time, I'm sure many other firms are looking at it in a similar sort of way. But what you can actually do is you can historically check a lot of your suppliers. And this isn't just looking uh, back at them a few weeks or a few months. Where you get value in something like doing historic screening is when you start looking at them a few years um, back, five, ten years and so on. Um, and again, you can look at millions of different news sources. Not only that, you can actually start to look at various social media sources. So, for example, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Many of these uh, people, I guess, if you look at it from a cyber perspective or finance perspective, there are many people that are speaking about companies out there. And for them to be able to talk about them in a negative way, I guess you need to know about what people are saying, who's interacting within that. And that's where a lot of the social um, screening comes in. With monitoring, that's more... 24-7, 365 real-time monitoring that can be conducted. And again, this is, I guess this is just horizon scanning um, set in a different way because there are various different terms out there um, that you can relate to the similar sort of uh, topic um, that's uh, been mentioned uh, here today. Um, and where you'd get the value in the monitoring or horizon scanning itself is if you have a system or a firm that's looking at it for you and they're able to give you the real-time updates. So if you're watching a supplier where they've got quite a volatile sort of um, indicators that have come up, you'd want to know about that, I guess, hourly or daily or bi-weekly and so on. So what you can ultimately um, do with that is conduct the searches, historic screening, real-time monitoring, and it's always valuable to be able to get a small intelligence sort of report um, to be able to guide on that.
Can we go to the next uh, slide, please? Risk domains that uh, you can uh, look at for historic screening and real-time monitoring. So there, this is a small library that we've built up, but what a lot of firms you'll find out there they can do is create new event types and be able to uh, create new risk domains for yourself specific to your organization's issues. Um, next slide, please. Um, again, languages, I've not mentioned that um, before, but there are various different languages because if you're doing horizon scanning and you're doing that across geographically everywhere, you want to be able to touch a lot of the languages that are out there. So just, I guess, for Risk and Tell, we do around 65 languages. Um, there are many other firms that are doing a lot more or a lot less, but there's a wide array of uh, languages that you can touch on today. What I mentioned around the threat definitions, you can see a list of them on the right. So in terms of benefits, why would you take a service like this? Well, you'd be able to get tailored relevant insights. You can build, uh, using a service like this, you can, of course, understand your own problems, but you can also build onto them um, if you need to for the work that you're doing within your firm. Um, next slide, please. So key features, um, this is uh, what I sort of previously mentioned where you can look at um, millions of different um, sources um, across the globe. Not only that, you can also start to look at the deep and dark web if you need that sort of um, information out there. Because as much as uh, information there is on Google and other sort of um, open source intelligence um, sources, there's also a lot more that you can learn from the deep web. Go on, next please. So across industries, we've been able to assist various different um, clients out there, but you can see there's a wide array of selection that we've sort of narrowed it down um, to today for the viewers and listeners. So in insurance management, we were able to help firms with the cyber, cyber and financial viability analysis. In financial services, there's a lot of regulatory and reputational um, issues that firms, banks, asset management companies, and so on um, face. So we've been able to conduct um, a lot of uh, research um, over the time that we've been running and we've been able to um, assist clients. Um, next slide, please. Um, just a brief sort of outlook on the sort of report you should be looking out for um, with, with uh, whichever firm or um, system uh, that you're using. The, the, the USP and the key thing that you need to look at uh, here is sort of simplicity, where you need to understand that there's a story around your supplier that you're tracing over weeks, months, or years, that's where you'll actually um, end up finding the benefit that you're doing. This is just a dummy sort of report we did on a company in India, and we found that they had 24 quality issues when we did a search on them from 2015 to 2018, and we saw that they had a whole, a whole range of um, recalls that they had. So any firm, let's say a company in the UK is using them as a factory um, in India, if these sort of issues were to come out globally on new source uh, new sources, the company that's actually using them at the front end, that's where they'd hit with the reputational and the brand damage. Uh, next slide, please. So today, um, I'd just like to again thank um, FS Club um, and for the members that have joined us here today, we're happy for you to get in touch with us and uh, we will offer the first 20 a free report um, to be able to check your third party suppliers. Next slide, please. Well, that's fantastic. Thank you very much for such a short, sharp presentation, Asad. Uh, very, very helpful. Folks, if you uh, wish to just uh, contact Asad, you, you just put a uh, like like him to contact me in the chat bar. I'll uh, make sure that he gets your email as well. 
Uh, and now, if I might, then uh, Barton, I'd really like to hand over to you and hear how Appomattox tackles similar situations. Over to you. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Elsa. Um, I'd like to approach this question from a different angle. Um, if we could go back to the slide before. Um, the, the answer for me here is breaking down the question into its elements. So we have automated horizon scanning and then organizational risk. The question really is, does if we recompile everything, does automated horizon scanning actually tangibly reduce organizational risk? Um, if we could go to the next slide, please. Um, sorry, did, we, uh, did you go to the next slide? It's still showing the old one and the first one. Oh, there we go. It's catching up now. So, um, the first of all, the. Ooh. Sorry, Michael, could you um, tell me what you're saying? I'm seeing the third slide instead of the second slide. Okay, second slide then, yeah. Please. The horizon scanning in the new risk environment. Okay, thank you. Uh, it's uh, taking a while to catch up on mine. So for horizon scanning, um, yes, it is a necessity. Yes, it does reduce risk. And for us, um, you know, this horizon scanning has been around from the beginning. When we were on top of castles looking at the horizon and checking if enemy or risks are approaching. But for, for me, for my company, the question isn't about necessity. It is necessary. It's more about efficiency. And if we're talking about efficiency, then the question becomes about control. So what are we controlling? Controlling external events? as well as more, very importantly, internal events. And if we're thinking about control, how are we doing this? Um, do we have control? The fact of the matter is that we're realizing that we don't have such control. And we as a society, we're very much of a reactive um, industry or a reactive um, society where it's more about uh, when things happen, just jumping in and doing and reacting as opposed to planning, pre-planning and so on. And I think 2020 has proven on so many levels that we as a society are not prepared for a variety of different risks, whether it's national to um, personal, macro to micro, we've realized that there's a lot still that needs to be done. And on that note, lastly, complexity. Um, the world, we're realizing it's very interdependent. And there are, there's a erosion of trust for information, for systems for people for processes and it's more of that reactive chaotic world that we're entering into and what we're seeing is that and realizing that the traditional method of dealing with risks is no longer valid and we have to evolve in, in terms of the practice and if michael if we could go to the next slide the third slide please and we see this and describe it as a world of quantum risks described by the fact that it is risks are interconnected and becoming more and more so from supply chains to other dependencies and so on they're unpredictable there and again 2020 shows a few elements of it but it's been the unpredictability has been around from the beginning and there are new risks unforeseen risks that are rising that are allowing making it difficult for us to plan again and pre-plan or uh, preempt and lastly impact is the impact is has more ripple effects and impacts not just one individual or organization but multiple that are associated with that so yeah the question again how do we handle this world 
uh, this new quantum risks, um, the world of quantum risks. And does autom automation in scanning help? The answer again is yes, it does. Um, it does reduce risk, but if we really dig into the question, does it reduce it enough? And is it sufficient? It, the answer is no, it doesn't reduce enough. It does reduce, but not enough. So why? Then we go back to the same principle of control. How do we control these kinds of events that we're scanning, risks that we're scanning, and how do we manage these risks? And, and before we go to the next slide, I enjoyed reading, Michael, your description of the webinar. You mentioned, yet our approach to non-financial risk are manual, mostly qualitative, and full of paperwork that no one reads. I couldn't agree more. I've been in the industry for a while, in cybersecurity industry as well, spoken to countless auditors and risk managers. It's very much the case of, I'm doing all this work, but where does it go? They, drop, they, they keep dropping the ball. How do we ingest all of these uh, scanning data, materials, risks that we're seeing? And if you could go to the next slide, please. And a very quick one on this, I'm assuming most of you would know how this is done. In today's world, risk management, the culture, if you're not a highly mature organization with heavy duty technology out there that you've managed to onboard after months of training and so on, um, you're dependent on Excel spreadsheets, on tables to ingest this kind of data. Gartner says 60% of this kind of work is unstructured. Forrester talks about how it's failing essentially to take all that risk and implement it within the organization. If we could go to the next, click next, please. So essentially what we're doing is we're taking uh, agnostic tools and bending them to fit very risk-prone matters and solve risk-prone and risk-bearing issues that we all depend on, but they're failing. And for a number of reasons, I don't need to go through all of them, you can see it on the screen, but the, the, as, a, as a society, as a culture, as organizations, we need to evolve past this. As the world is evolving, we also have to. And now we're, um, we move on to the next stage of how do we do this? And for my world of cybersecurity, we have a saying that technology is not the answer. Um, it's always an amalgamation of different things. From this screen, you can see that there's horizon scanning that's absolutely important to embed and monitor the horizon. There's also automation and workflows and work management that's needed in order to make sure the ball doesn't get dropped, tasks are done, remediations are implemented whether it's done through manual inputs or automatic inputs. And lastly, it's a fancy name. It's not a very Hollywood, fifth element, what we call my company. If we could go on to the next slide, please. And for us, um, again, going back to the example that technology doesn't solve everything, it is about culture. It is. It really boils down to people that we speak to. It's about leadership. It's about being bold and looking at this and saying, all right, this is an issue understanding the topic, realizing that you're not only reducing risks, but you're also increasing opportunities, unearthing inefficiencies within the organization, and embedding that culture within the organization. So my call is, if we can go to the last slide, please, is that this is not an environment where, um, where we can depend just on scanning, ingesting, giving us all that data, but how do we take all of that and actually manage that within the organization and make sure that in that data from arising scanning is actually meaningful and impactful in a tangible way. So horizon scanning does reduce, but you also need a complementary service in order to fully implement this within the organization. 
And here you can see that this is a screenshot of our platform that allows this kind of next generation risk management complemented with a little disheveled on the top, but risk preemption, collective intelligence with benchmarking. These are innovation in the industry that is very much needed, as well as moving from this once a year risk management to a continual risk management process. It needs to be part of the company culture. Thank you very much. And uh, Michael, the next slide, and that will be it. Great. Well, that's fantastic, uh, both uh, Assad and Vartan. And thank you so much for keeping the time. Uh, folks, if you wouldn't mind, uh, if you wish to send some questions or comments in, and I've got a few here already, uh, please do send them in early so we have uh, time to, to address them. Anyway, um, let's uh, let's get started on a couple of these here. Um, Lee Kopak is interested. Um, Asad, you opened um, by pointing out Warren Buffett's quote about reputation. How do you define reputation? The way I would define reputation is, I guess that there's a few different ways to look at this, but for an organization, it's being able to protect themselves around what's being said out there weeks in advance to when it comes out on the media. Um, and I can give you a small example. I hope, you know, it's it's an industry thing that was out there, but a retail group called Boohoo.com recently, um, they hit quite a bad uh, reputational crisis, um, so to say. And that was due to their third party suppliers. Now they were hiring child laborers. They had all sorts of, um, you know, these kids in a factory doing work for them. And Boohoo, the whole group, um, did not know about this. But the first news that was reported about that was two weeks ago on the local um, news media. So when it actually came out onto the mainstream, their association was very closely tied. But if they knew about that weeks in advance, that could have been mitigated. Now, that's one way to look at a reputation where you're able to protect yourself preemptively. Um, but because ultimately what they've done is they've built that brand up over years and they've built it on um, a qualitative sort of uh, basis where they're providing quality clothes out there. So th th I guess that's one brief, short way. I'm happy to um, delve into that a bit further. Um, and to you, Vartan, sort of the same thing, but in a different way. Um, you've spoken about complexity and reputation is very complex. How does reputation feature, reputational risk feature in your management system for this? The reputation for us is we see it as a consequence of management. It's how you, again, take that um, risks that are identified and implement it and handle it. Um, we, you cannot escape risks. Risks are there. Incidents are there. They will always happen. It's more about, as an organization, how you, again, the same word, ingesting all of that, managing your employees and, and as well as the customers, investors, the stock market, whatever it is that you're exposed to and whoever your stakeholders are. For us, it's, it's again a, com a combination of different matters and different communication that you're able to unearth through a well-managed risk management process or risk management solution or service where you're able to see these are the items coming up and this is how we should communicate and handle that, um, that, uh, that risk. Thank you. At least come back to say, well, bad publicity doesn't always or necessarily result in financial impact, at least not long term, uh, which is an interesting perspective, really. Um, and what I, I sometimes have a lot of sympathy for. 
Uh, meanwhile, uh, pick up a, is still on reputational damage. We'll move on to a couple of topics in a minute. Uh, Bob McDowell says reputational damage frequently arises from unpredicted external events where an enterprise's reputation is the collateral damage. Um, could you both explain how your services address such events uh, beyond just capturing the data from such events after they've occurred? Um, and I'll start if I could, Vartan, perhaps with you, because you've got sort of the more of the management aspect here. Mm. For us, is um, the unpredictability of risk is there and will always be there. And it's again a matter of setting aside and understanding um, whether it's a financial uh, element that you're saying, I, this is set aside as a contingency, or it's a matter of planning ahead and saying, these are all the risks we're exposed to. This is where all um, where the budget goes to and is set aside to address these ones. And then we're essentially setting aside an additional amount for the unforeseen, unpredictable events that could happen. So for us, the platform allows, in terms of the platform, risk management of identifying these risks, putting them in different categories. But then in addition to that, we are capable of, or the, you, are, you will be capable of, again, unearthing all of that and then planning a separate section for unforeseen events. So for me, it's always about how do we handle what we have, what we can control, and at the same time, knowing that there's always going to be an exposure to unforeseen risks. Later, as the technology has evolved, it becomes more about preemption, immediately identifying that something's about to go wrong, this is what's happening in the market, and this is what you need to do quickly and instantaneously. And that's where the technology needs to evolve to. Asad, uh, Tim Gordon is curious, what does your tool have that Google Alerts doesn't provide? So um, from our perspective, we we don't offer a tool itself um, for our clients to use. We, we do that consultancy piece for them. Um, however, within the tool itself, I guess you could look at it in a way it's Google on steroids. Because if you're out there searching manually using algorithms on Google to be able to um, feedback on the information, you're going to have hundreds of pages, or tens and hundreds of pages that you're going to have to look through, have a look at each uh, one of the links. And what we do from our perspective um, at the back end is be able to do that whole sort of piece for you, but instead of one analyst or a bunch of analysts looking at the information for days, we get that information in real time or within minutes. Um, it's, it, the whole key is on the algorithms and how well uh, you're searching uh, for the information out there. So of course, yeah. Um, moving into uh, areas about <coughs> boards and management, um, Matt Whitnell has a question for both of you, and I'll give you a minute to perhaps start with Fartan and then move to Asad. He's asking, what are your top tips for implementing a new risk management approach to an organization's culture when co culture change is historically difficult? Um, and Paul Phillips adds to that in a sense, you know, what do the speakers feel is an essential first step for organizations to take? So top tips for implementing a new risk management culture and an essential first step. Vartan, over to you. Thank you. Uh, we, looking back at how organizations do implement, um, the market for us, what we've noticed as quite stagnant in a sense that the technology out there implement as well as the implementation process is quite heavy. So it took months of onboarding, months of uh, training, 
in order to implement some kind of a um, old school technology that uh, they, they do exist for more mature organizations. And as such, a lot of majority and bulk of organizations just shrug it away and say it's difficult. But those that want to do it, and this is the reason why our company, Informatics, is created, is more of a modular ex um, uh, experience with very light capability of adding just one or two individuals and then growing in, as as the need becomes more and more and as the process is taken on. I highly would recommend, instead of doing this big bulk change, doing a big team meeting and everything's changing, it's always about assigning one or two people, getting the process going, logging that risk register, if you already have it, importing it into a platform, and then essentially adding more users and more users. Then the next board meeting or committee meeting, now you have something valuable to show real-time scalable data on the screen with analytics showing where the real-time risks are and so on. So for us, it's a, a, a more of a gradual process than a, a quick um, cold turkey. Okay. Asad, your thoughts? I'd say Vartan hit the nail on the head there. Okay. One is, but I guess he looked at that from an internal um, perspective. It, it's very similar to what I'd say from an external perspective as well. Um, it, and again, it's not always necessary that the organization or the firm has to do it themselves or get it right the first time around. If you're, you have some SMEs you can liaise with, let's say a third party supplier company who's able to assist you with um, these sort of issues, uh, issues um, as such. Um, you, you're very much, um, I guess, able to hit the ground running with with a staged um, sort of approach to taking uh, to to risk. Okay. Um, Anna Hinder poses a very very good question. What are the indicators or measures of high quality horizon scanning, Bartan? Um, for me, so our service, just to be clear, does not offer horizon scanning. So I think this is a definitely much better question for us. But for us, again, we, we're looking at the internal implementation of the horizon scan risks or whatever risks there are that you have identified. For us, good indicators are always you've processed those risks, you've logged them, you've understood them, you've analyzed them, you've evaluated them, you've made decisions, you've set tasks, and those tasks have been carried out to reminders or monitor dates so that the entire team knows what they're doing with um, horizon scan events that you have identified. So it's always more about the internal. How do we deal with this? I think I thought you you probably have much more to say on the horizon scanning element of it. Sure enough. Thank you, Artan. Um, I guess there are three elements that I'll touch on. One is geography, which country you're looking at. Secondly, being able to look at the language. And third, if you, uh, when I had it previously up there, the risk domains um, in terms of horizon scanning itself. I guess it's a case of, what are you really trying to find out about your third party supplier, internal slash external risk? Um, and it's that tied to, I guess, a whole range of risk domains. So you're looking at financial issues, cybersecurity issues, labor rights, um, and so on. So it's more of a well-rounded sort of approach that you, you need to take because you might be able to get a lot of information on your supplier in one point, but then what you'll also find with horizon scanning is, that there's a different element to it. So if you're looking at cyber, but then you're also picking up on labor rights issues, well, they're two completely separate, uh, separate different elements um, that Horizon Scanning can offer. 
Uh, uh, Ian Sheridan's curious. Uh, are both of you familiar with the solar winds attacks? And did you look at this event and reflect what you could have contributed to mitigating or preventing it? I'm on, I'm aware of it. Yes, um, it's um, it's a similar situation again where um, my friends in the industry who run large cybersecurity organizations. I'm making sure I don't name any, and they've had they've had issues where a hack, even though a system has been implemented, a hack has occurred within the client, and the client has said, um, "Oh, but the system was implemented and hack took place." They've done an audit. They've understood that. All right. Well, yes, you did implement the system that we told you, but um, you forgot to patch. You forgot to update. You forgot to train. You forgot to do all of these other things that expose you to multiple risks and vulnerabilities, and essentially opens to the exterior, external world, and for this, those risks to come in. So it it again goes back to that um, external internal ex monitoring externally extremely important blocking the external attacks or any kind of um, malicious activity is extremely important. But if you don't have that internal culture of managing, addressing risks continually in a continual risk management style, all of the other things would be relevant or it could be actually not irrelevant, that's a harsh word. They would, they would reduce the risk, but there's still an, an opportunity for the adversary to tap in, to enter, to, uh, to basically to hack. I hope that answers the question. Uh, Mark B Barker, sorry, Mark Barker has a question for you, uh, Asad. As an organization that is still building and implementing a robust risk management framework, in particular uh, a risk and control self-assessment, one key mechanism uh, which I am keen to self-risk assess is through the quantifiable external events, both on a typical and extreme basis. Uh, would the benefits of risk intel feed directly into this, maybe maintaining access to a database of external events, which can be collaboratively learned from. Yes, of course. Um, so I guess um, I'll go back to what when I um, introduced risk intel. What we're actually doing is looking at news sources that are out there. So these are your media outlets. And then we're also looking at social media. In terms of being able to look at the risks that you're trying to implement and understand and sort of bring that information in-house, um, I, I'd say very easily, yes, uh, we're able to go out there, do all the searches, provide the reports um, to yourself um, for you to ultimately either make decisions or um, preemptively or proactively be able to work on them issues internally or externally. Okay, good. Um, quite see here, um, really perhaps uh, for both of you, but I'll, I'll start with you, Vartan, Anna Hinder again. What are the skills and capabilities needed internally to make the full use of your solution? Uh, we've we've, um, we've tried a variety of different yes, uh, clientele, clients, users, and it's very clear that a bit of knowledge is necessary to understand the uh, the need to do it, to have the willingness to do it. That's why the fifth element, as I called it, leadership, awareness, a bit of um, a bit of cultural change is needed to say, okay, everybody, we need this. We don't know what's going on. We don't know what our risks are. So we need to get into this. Um, but that is the exact reason why Acromatics was created, because as long as you have that willingness to do that, we've had organizations that are five to 10 people use Acromatics as well as organizations that 5,000 and above. 
And the, the importance is simplifying that process. Risk management can be extremely complicated, especially if it's done the wrong way. So, um, but in, in order to actually get it going and getting started, this is why a specific our company, it's split it into step-by-step -step process and workflow in that sense to make sure it takes you from the beginning all the way to the end. So um, to, to summarize, a limited amount and understanding and willingness to do it would be sufficient. Okay. Um, this is a tough question, so uh, don't, don't, don't wander too far, but Philip Leone is asking, uh, is sort of most risk is internal governance or external compliance, uh, looking for deterministic or probabilistic data points in the captive legacy and cloud infrastructure. Uh, of the risk manager is important. Can you turn your guns onto the captive infrastructure to find threats and also processes and data that preempt risk, as well as finding outliers that don't fall within prescribed best practice? Um, so just, just sort of curious if you had any comments on that. Um, I guess in terms of sticking to horizon scanning uh, within that data points, it, it, well, what is it that you're sort of looking at or looking out for um, that's out there is what I'd uh, like to ask uh, yourself first. Um, and then based on that, and th it's a case of, okay, there's one topic that you want to look at, and then it's about going into the finer detail within that, you know, for example, what exactly keywords are picked out to what data points that you need to um, actually collect um, within. And then there are a whole lot of algorithms that are built out off the back of that um, for the searches to be conducted. Okay, um, there are a couple of um, questions here we've got time for, um, but to turn to you, uh, Vartan, on this one. It's from Hugh Purser. What level of management does the typical corporate risk manager hold, you know, board level, or is it just really still seen by boards as a kind of a tick, uh, you know, box ticking exercise? Sure. It's, um, it, this depends on the, what we call the risk maturity of an organization. Um, if we can say um, low maturity would be somebody who says, um, I don't have this, or I have some kind of a risk management or risk register um, on um, on an Excel spreadsheet, and I want to upgrade and get this in, into a more formalized process, then typically this will be a risk manager, compliance manager, and so on. And then as you go up the scale and your organization becomes or is a bit more mature, then typically it divides into um, operational risk, uh, information security risk, could be health and safety risk, and the list goes on. And some of our clients are using this for COVID risk, um, specifically um, maintaining the COVID risk within the working environment. Others are using InfoSec. And then what we highly recommend for those getting started or uh, are upgrading in their practice is to form risk committees, individuals that are stakeholders that should be aware of risk. And this, within the risk committee, we typically recommend the chief operating officer, or at that point, if you have a head of risk or chief information security officer, if you become more mature. And of course, the risk managers, compliance managers, and so on should all participate looking, we would almost say monthly basis, the analytics saying, okay, what risks are we still exposed to? What work has been done to remediate those risks? Are we prepared? And if unknowns happen, have we, do we have our house in order in order to react to the unknowns? I hope that makes sense and answers the question. Yeah, that was a tough one. Um, thank you. Uh, Pleasure. And
One, one for you, Asad. Uh, Bob McDowell sort of curious. How much do you think reputational risk would be reduced by probable future legislative positioning of social media platforms as publishers rather than technology platforms? Or is, do you think that that risk area might be reducing? Just a general comment. Um, if, if I'm honest, from what we have seen over the past best part of three years, it's actually rising. However, that, that it's not that it's just rising. Companies and firms out there are actually understanding that a lot quicker as to the historic sort of the way they looked at risk operational or internal, external. Um, and there are various different systems out there that, that can be utilized in terms of social media. But again, you know, the whistleblower is one term that comes to mind um, with uh, something like this in social media where an internal exp uh, employee might be talking about your business directly or indirectly. Um, and it, it's on the company to be able to sort of find that out because, you know, what we've seen in the media is there might be a big merger going on and an ex, uh, a current employee who's not too happy with whatever's going to be going on can start talking about that in social media. So there are various different risks and it is on the rise, um, unfortunately. However, it might be a number of years until I feel that it's going to be managed um, properly and proactively for firms out there. Okay. And we've got time for one last question. I'd like to throw it to you, Vartan, and that's from Ian Sheridan. Um, smartphones are increasingly used across regulated firms, accelerated by the COVID-19 pandemic. Can users of your service monitor and read the dashboards and reports about the smartphone usage and, and, and vulnerabilities? Is that part of your framework? Uh, obviously, quite a, given the large number of regulated firms that are members of FS Club, that's a pretty pertinent subject for us. Um, the short answer to that is no. Um, our platform does not monitor um, the, um, the phones, the usage of phones, or how it's um, or any vulnerabilities within those phones. There are endpoint security companies out there that could do this um, and could help you with that. But what our service does is make sure that um, that's identified as a risk, yeah. controls, specific controls, standards such as ISO 27001, NIST, SOC, whatever those standards are, are identified and assigned saying, okay, this is the risk, this is the asset, and this is how we're going to treat that to make sure that the risk does not materialize. So not only is that technology needed to monitor the phones, but also you need to have a process and governance in place to say these are the 10 different risks that could be, we could be exposed to because of usage of cell phones. And how do we take care of those risks? Excellent. Well, uh, sadly, uh, all good things come to an end, and I've got a number of people here uh, sending in their thanks for both of your presentations. It's, it's very, very clear that uh, this area has been moving uh, fast uh, because of technology, but it's also clear that it's been moving slowly because of management and culture. And I think we're, we're seeing this contrast here. And I, I would like to thank both of you for kind of giving us a flavor of the current state of the art. Um, I've also noticed uh, quite a few people here uh, wanting to get in touch with you, and those messages will be passed on to you with their emails so that you can get back to them. Uh, but it remains for me really to give three rounds of quick thanks, if I may. The first, as ever, to our sponsors. I hope that you found this interesting. Definitely the application of technology to uh, making sure that risk, which has been the major theme in finance for a few centuries now, uh, is really, really brought under control. I'd also like to thank you, the audience. Uh, you've really engaged with the subject, which uh, very frequently does kind of slide off the rails a little bit. 
uh, and I think it's been very helpful to have your questions and comments, uh, but also uh, to, to suggest to, that I think that our, both of our speakers did an excellent job of also staying en point. Um, please do check out the website as ever. I won't read through the uh, events that are coming forward, but there are quite a few. Uh, do have a good look, and tomorrow we're going to be having a particular look at the post-COVID-19 business model and policy choices for Europe, um, very much a policy thing with Radix, uh, another think tank. And finally, if I may, gentlemen, uh, I'm afraid I can't in this era of COVID-19, despite all this advanced technology, I still can't open the floodgates of applause, but I do have with me my Korean karmic clapper, and I will give you some ersatz applause. Uh, Thank you, Michael. Both of you today. Thank you so much. For <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.